Welcome to Total Convexity, a weekly financial podcast that caters to professional finance individuals, high net worth investors, family offices, and other sophisticated financial professionals. Join our hosts, hedge fund manager Jim Wang and Henrik Neohaus, as they explore the interconnected world of global macroeconomics, central banks, and capital markets. Comprehending the intricate web of global macroeconomics, central bank policies, and capital markets isn't just an option, it's a necessity. Whether you're a chief investment officer, financial analyst, entrepreneur, or simply someone curious about how the global economy and capital markets function, this podcast serves as your compass through the intricacies of the global financial landscape. In each episode, we will delve deep into the influential factors shaping our world, from global economic trends and central bank policies to capital markets and trading strategies. We will demystify financial jargon, clarify complex numerical data, and provide you with insights from experts in the field. Convexity episode 6 is recorded on the 3rd of November 2023. I'm your host, Henrik Neuhaus. Joining me is my co-host, Jim Wang. I'm glad to return with episode 6 of our our podcast series. In the first episode, we discussed our investment and analytical framework, and we recommend new listeners to start out by (coughs) reviewing our first episode, as the explanation of our framework lays the foundation for the subsequent episodes. Since then, we have discussed interest rates, the US dollar cycle, gold, and fiscal and monetary policies. What do you want to discuss this week, Jim? Hello, everyone. I'm very glad to return to the new episode. Uh, It's another week. And uh, let's see. On October the 6th, we discussed interest rate and the treasury securities. As part of the discussion, we discussed the liquidity impact on U.S. Treasury bond market and the overall implication on the broad financial market. And I would say that's the key driver uh, for the financial market since summer, since July uh, this year. Now, this Wednesday, Treasury released its quarterly refunding document. Uh, it's also called QRA. And there's some updates on Q4 Treasury funding plan. Uh, and uh, maybe we should spend a little bit of time on that and uh, get an update on the liquidity. What do you think, Henrik? Yes, I think that will be very good uh, because, it, yes. So I think that most people would be confused by why the Treasury refunding plan would have anything to do with liquidity, actually. Perhaps you could help us by refreshing our memory about liquidity, which we previously discussed in our first episode. What is it exactly, and and why is it important, Jim? Uh, yeah. So, uh, like you mentioned, we discuss our framework at our, <coughs> our 
And so we recommend um, new listeners to listen to the first episode where we lay out our framework. And within that, uh, there's numerous factors that we consider uh, the, uh, for to, in order to handicap the capital market. And the liquidity is one of the most important thing. So generally speaking, when the liquidity is increasing, um, that is positive for the financial asset. When I say financial asset is bond, stocks, commodities, gold, everything. Okay. So overall level of the, of the financial asset will increase when the liquidity is tightening, uh, and that will have a pressure for the entire financial asset. And the distribution of the financial asset, distribution of the pressure, however, is not even. It will really depend on the relative valuation of the asset prices priced relative to the future growth and the economic, future economic growth and the future inflation. In addition, it will also depend on the relative valuation between the different asset classes between themselves. So when the financial, when the, when the liquidity is tightened, uh, those overvalued, overvalued asset and those who were mispriced for the future growth and inflation, we will suffer more. Okay. And uh, so that's why the liquidity is very important. Now, there is a numerous measurement of liquidity, and it's very difficult. There is no single cut. And for us, we have a number of uh, things that we look. One is the change of monetary base. Okay. We basically look at a change of a monetary base minus change of inflation minus change of GDP. And that real GDP. And that is basically the amount of money that is ready to be deployed into financial market rather than real economy. And then the impact on the, uh, on the financial market will also depending on the size of the increase relative to the size of the capital market. So we'll divide that by the uh, market cap. Okay. So that's one measurement. The other one we also talk about liquidity can come in because of increasing leverage. Okay. So we talk about, you know, for example, the volatility target fund, right? When the volatility decline, they will lever up. When they lever up, there will be more uh, demand for the financial asset. So leverage can create liquidity out of thin air. And the third one is the US, US Treasury funding gap. And uh, that one is not as clear as a lot of people were thinking. And it's actually one of the key mechanisms for the QE to work, to inject liquidity into the system. So that's just in, so the the treasury basically need to issue that okay so there's a supply for the market and that that need to be absorbed by the market okay so more the increase of supply will have downward pressure for the liquidity okay now then they have a demand side okay the demand side typically if the demand is come from non-economic uh, buyers then that's injection of liquidity and what are the non-economic, you know, um, non-economic buyers? Those are foreign central bankers, okay, reserve managers, all right. And when the QE time, it was the Federal Reserve, right. So if we have more demand for the for the for the treasury, and then there's that injection of liquidity, okay, into the system. So the supply and the demand uh, of treasury securities, we call it the U.S. funding gap, and that is have direct impact on the liquidity of the overall financial market. So that's kind of a brief kind of overview, Henry. Okay, well, that makes sense. Um, now, <clears throat> as you mentioned um, back on October the 6th, 
when we discussed interest rates, you said you were worried about the liquidity backdrop and explained the implications for interest rates in various asset classes. Now, before you give us an update on liquidity, perhaps you could take a few minutes and explain exactly how all the pieces work together? Uh, yeah, sure, let's go there. So I think on that day, we, bas we basically explained the liquidity situation at the time was very tight because of the supply and the demand imbalance. Uh, and uh, so we talk about there is a two trillion uh, you know, budget you know, uh, deficit and there's a significant refinancing need uh, as well. Um, we also talk about the lack of demand uh, because of you know and those by the way we we are uh, we have we have you know we are not the only one okay so so everyone have noticed this and everyone have been talking about this is there's not much demand because the Fed was doing instead of doing QE they were doing QT um, and uh, the foreign buyers basically dry up and we also talk about that that because of the uh, inverted yield curve the hedging cost is very high. Therefore, even the U.S. offer very high interest rate that uh, overseas, you know, Japanese and European investors are not interested uh, because of the high currency hedging. Uh, therefore, there is uh, not much demand uh, for coupon uh, for the coupon uh, treasury, uh, and uh, um, and because of that, and uh, you know, that result in the in the uh, kind of a tightening of the liquidity. Um, but what we differ from a lot of other people is we pointed out that, that uh, the tightening of liquidity will be distributed across the different asset classes um, and uh, based on their relative valuations, right, uh, to the growth and inflation and among themselves. So we pointed out the stock will be also very more vulnerable to the downside. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, if the if the if the if we if the growth have slowed down a lot, earnings you know start to decline, you know stock will fall much faster than bond. Uh, and uh, if if growth is robust and uh, earnings was very strong, and then the stock you know may still support it, and uh, you know because of the earning component, but uh, the valuation it will come down together with 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 bond. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of the dynamic that we're explaining. Um, but you can see, you know, what has happened uh, in the, in the past one quarter, right? Um, and both uh, stocks and uh, and the bond have come down because of this tightening liquidity. Right. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And you mentioned in this past quarter because since July, nearly all financial assets have been selling off over this period. But still, you know, something changed this Wednesday when the QRA came out and both bonds and stocks have rallied. So what, what exactly does the uh, is the information in the QRA and and uh, how does it relate to these recent rallies in the past few days? Jim? Um, yeah. So for those people who do not know, the QRA is a quarterly refunding. I think it's called an appendix or analysis um, as a provision for that. But in any case, uh, every quarter, and uh, um, the Treasury will uh, will will release their estimate of the amount of the bond that uh, they are going to fund and uh, how much, uh, and the kind of the breakdown. So I think on a Monday they release um, kind of the amount of the debt that they want to uh, want to fund, and uh, I think a lot of people were expecting more. Uh, it's probably driven by a lot of people expecting probably will be higher. Um, you know, um, they want to build a higher TGA. 
But it uh, looks like they maintain the TGA balance the same, and uh, the amount was diminished by about you know 75 billion. But I think that's not a big deal. I think the market really caught uh, kind of off guard on Wednesday, uh, where basically um, you know kind of the breakdown when how the Treasury want to issue debt. So I mean, I I pulled it up and just for people to to look, it's basically on the top here. Um, here is the new bills to 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 issue is about you know 437 billion, uh, and uh, and also um, the new money, meaning the the new money that it need to be raised is about 700 is 776 billion, right? Among the 776 you know 76 billion. 437 billion is the uh, is through T bill, and uh, 338 billion is through coupon issues, right? So that's a significant reduction versus people's expectation because people were expecting a lot more coupon issues, right? And then we also have a 582 billion here, and this is just for um, you know rolling the maturing debt. So when the debt mature, because we you know the U.S. Treasury you know is running a uh, permanent deficit per se. Uh, therefore, for whatever maturing debt, you need to roll the debt. You need to have a new debt to fund to pay off the old debt, right? And and this one is is more kind of liquidity neutral, right? The new money is basically the the um, you know it's going to be negative for liquidity. But if you fund it through the T bills, and then that the liquidity kind of uh, demand will significantly reduce. And this is especially true that we still have one trillion in the reverse repo facility. Um, and uh, just note that the reverse repo is the money who park at the fund. Uh, most of the participants are money market funds, right? And uh, when the uh, when the money out coming out of the uh, reverse repo, you know, and uh, that's the injection into the financial system uh, that come into the financial system is increase of liquidity. So that can be funded by the reverse repo. Now we have still have one trillion to go. So uh, so I think um, you know this three hundred thirty eight billion. Okay, it's a still very significant number. All right, uh, and uh, remember, you know when we Fed was doing QE, uh, you know during the QE one, QE two, QE three, that's about monthly kind of the purchasing, right? So three hundred thirty three thirty eight billion is a very significant number. However. Versus expectation, this is a big relief, and because of that, um, I would say you know immediately after QIA release, long bond have the biggest drop. Um, I see you know that we we have seen in the past in the in the in the in the recent months, uh, and uh, at the same time, the stock have a big rally. So now we can have a separate uh, discussion on this one. Is that you know people talk about the correlation, right? And uh, you know bond and the stock they move in the same direction, uh, and uh, statistically you can observe that it's true. But there is inherent reason for that, and the reason is because bond is driving the price of stocks price right now. Okay, in the absence of recession, when the recession hit, the earnings and uh, and, uh, and 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 you know the 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 growth that will drive. Uh, the, uh, the 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 stock price, uh, and for now the stock is still driven by the bond, the overall liquidity. So you can see here the both bond and the equity have a big rally together. So I think the implication for this one is long bond yield may have you know I think that certainly the probability is very high. We have one of the major talks 
of Lombard. Okay, and it's possible, and it's possible that top is that top of the cycle. Let me say it's possible because um, you know this liquidity thing is just one variable, and you also have to consider the growth and inflation. We think growth and inflation overall is coming down. However, you know in the near term. Uh, and uh, it's very hand difficult to handicap, you know, one, one month, one quarter. But the overall projection is the growth is going to come down with high probability of recession and inflation is going to come down. So from that perspective, uh, you know, the, the, the top that we have seen in the past few weeks could be the one, it is the one of the major top in our mind, uh, and could be the top, all right? Uh, and uh, the, in terms of the stock price, that, uh, um, you know, it, uh, because of the, because people were priced very, you know, tied to liquidities and now there is a signs of relief. And, uh, I think they have oversold conditions, sentiment that was very bad across all the backdrop and the seasonality is positive. Mm -hmm. By the way, the presidential election cycle, uh, following the present presidential election cycle and typically this time period is very, is, is, uh, is the best time for, for stock to perform. So those are the temporary tailwinds. Now we still have the headwinds. The headwinds is the financial conditions overall is very tight. And then the, the probability of recession is very high. So if you put all these puzzles together and depending who you are and uh, our expectation is that stocks could be supported until could be supported to the E to the Q4. And uh, obviously we cannot forecast the levels and we have to follow it, um, you know, based on what we see. Um, but, uh, but we think that, uh, this will peter out and, uh, probably, you know, sometime uh, this, this year or beginning of the next year. And then we will have a bigger movement probably, um, uh, towards the downside. Um, that's kind of, uh, you know, in terms of general implications that we, we are seeing here. Um, now there's another component here is the, uh, the treasury is going to engage treasury buyback. Um, and by the way, I want to come back here, here is that, you know, treasury should be supposed to be very predictable, uh, you know, kind of forces, you know, in terms of the breakdown of the coupons and the bills and et cetera. And uh, what Yellen is doing right here is actually they were doing the monetary policy right now by changing the composition uh, of the of the issuance, right? By choosing more T-bills, then coupons, they are e effectively easing, right? They are effectively doing the operation twist, right? Now, one of the thing people we talk about here is the you know the treasury buyback program they're going to roll off next year now the treasury buyback program what is it what is that is basically you know we have the treasury uh, have over the run and on the run right and uh, you know off the run is basically less liquidity on the run they have more liquidity so the fed is basically saying they want to improve the liquidity they will buy uh, off the run uh, right and uh, so that it will improve the market liquidity. And then simultaneously, um, they will sell. When you sell, is by definition, is on the run. Uh, and uh, theoretically, is liquidity neutral because you issue bond, you issue a new bond, and you purchase the old bond. Um, and that is assuming they are doing the same maturity. But if they are buying duration coupon bond, okay, and, uh, you know, off the run duration coupon bond, and they are issue more short-dated you know, or T-bills, then that is basically effectively doing operation pitch. Effectively, Treasury was doing the job that the Federal Reserve was doing, uh, which is an operation twist, meaning they want to kind of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, relieve the pressure of the long-dated long Treasury yield 
and uh, uh, instead of issuing more uh, materials. Um, and uh, I, they suppose not to do that, but uh, you know, who says that uh, we cannot prevent them doing that, right? So that's another dynamic that we can talk about. Eric, after you. Yeah, okay, interesting. So now, at the time when we discussed interest rates, which was a few weeks ago, I think the two-year yield was 508 and the 10-year traded at 4.8 or something. And you argued that interest rates and US treasuries represent a buying opportunity. Now, after that conversation or that episode, yields went a little bit higher, but they have all now come down significantly in the past few days. So where, where do you think we'll go from here? Uh, yeah, so this will be a good, uh, you know, we just have to find a meeting, right? So this may be a good starting point that's touch upon on Fed uh, meeting. So this month we have a Fed meetings, right? Uh, and this week, I'm sorry, and uh, also on Wednesday. And the Fed, as we all know, Fed put the rates on high, uh, on pause. And uh, it's not surprising. It's basically priced by the market uh, already. Um, and uh, I would say if you look at the econ data, and the Fed, you know, may may hike, okay? Uh, because the inflation, you know, uh, appears to be sticking and, uh, and the, and the econ, I mean, the lagging economic indicators that show, you know, pretty robust labor market, right? Um, but uh, because of the tightened liquidities, right? Long bond has gone up a lot and, uh, you know, stock has come down a lot. So from a financial condition perspective, that has already been tightened a lot. So the Fed basically want to unpause. They, uh, they think that the long bond have tightened the financial condition for them, right? Uh, and uh, so, uh, and uh, then looking forward, um, I would say it's, um, you know, if the long bond didn't come down, if the stock don't rally, and I would say Fed is basically done, right? But if the long, the long bond have a significant rally, um, you know, how significant is significant, and uh, which we, we can discuss, but I think it was, uh, you know, 10 years below 4.5%, right? Stock, you know, make uh, maybe higher than July in our matching high or above that. And then I would say that that will be a significant easing of the financial conditions, right? And then I think if, if that's the case, there's a possibility of another, you know, fight rehike, right? I would say if that happens, right? Um, now, there's another variable, which is the economic variable. But if, if the financial condition have easing a lot, and if the unemployment rate start to go higher, I mean, we, we can, uh, we just have the job number come out, it was not good. Okay, unemployment is starting going higher, and the jobless, you know, the, the, uh, the non-farm payroll is coming down, and there is, um, and, 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 uh, and if the inflation comes down significantly, I would say, they may still, the, you know, way in between these two, weakening economy, rising unemployment rate, and the falling inflation versus the easing financial conditions, they may continue to pass. So, um, so what I'm saying here is that, uh, you know, you need to look at what's the financial asset conditions, and you also need to look at the economic development in order to handicap whether they're going to hike or not in December. And that may have some impact on the short rates. But if you look beyond that, and I would say to you know, I think if even the Fed hiked the interest rate for the front end, it's not going to have a significant impact because that probably will be the last one, uh, last hike. Or you know, so so I think whether they will hike or not, I think it's not material from that perspective. I think the front end of the uh, uh, of the race represent a very good 
you know, kind of a very good uh, um, opportunity, uh, buying opportunities. In all base case of recession, they will perform very well. If we are wrong, if there is a soft landing, and then I think they can continue to, you know, perform. I mean, only if the economy reaccelerated the upside, then the short dated rates will, you know, you will lose money on that, which is not our base case, which which I think is highly unlikely. Now, potential. Now, the um, um, if you look out, you know, of the durations, right? We talk about, um, you know, the the overall supply and the demand imbalance will have a downward. Um, pressure on the price. In our, in other words, upward on the yield. And I think a lot of people overread too much about the supply and demand. And by no means, these are very important. But we pointed out two nuances, right? One is the supply and the demand is 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 going to have an impact on the overall, okay, the financial asset. So it's not only on treasury, but also on all the rest of the financial asset. Now we think treasury is. You know the the stocks is overpriced versus a bond. Okay, I, we think growth is overpriced versus bond as well. Uh, and uh, I think the yield has arrived at the, the long bond has arrived at the at the yield level where it's become attractive for the asset allocators. Okay, and uh, we it's very reasonable, right? In the past since July, uh, as you mentioned, when the stock when the bond price when the bond yields are to rise. Stock was selling off until in the most recent, you know, kind of, uh, you know, weeks, as you can see, the long bond was basically hanging on the top level, but the stock have bigger decline. So, and if you look at a lot of the, um, you know, I say corporate pensions, right? And their discount rate is called long duration corporate bond. Uh, and that they invest in the diverse asset classes, right? So you think, I think about their liability is discounted by the long duration corporate credit bond and their asset are stocks, bond and a combination of everything, right? So they are fully funded. Okay. Now it does not make sense for them to take the risk, right? Because, you know, their main business is not to generate the money through, uh, you know, the financial market, right? So it just makes sense for them to reduce allocation into equities and, uh, and, uh, uh, and the risk asset and increase the uh, allocation to the fixed income. So I think that demand is coming, right? And uh, that is going to be very significant and that can lead to the demand for the treasury yield, uh, for, for the treasury bond. So the second kind of uh, thing people misunderstand between the supply and the demand, and we talk about this, the main driver for the interest rate is basically the, the growth and the inflation. Now people say Fed have control of short dating. That's, and the long dating is out of their control. It is, it is, it is not true. Fed have control, have a long short dated. That's because Fed choose to control the short dated. Fed choose not to control the long dated. For example, BOG choose to control long dated. Fed choose to control long dated by doing a QE during the after financial crisis. Now Fed choose not to do it. Fed can control that. The Fed can control the interest rate across the entire interest rate curve, period. Okay. Now, the interest rate, forward looking interest rate, is nothing more than a combination of the integration of forward looking policy rate, right? So if you can look at a forward policy rate one year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and then you integrate them together, you get a longer dated yield, right? So the, the, the treasury supply the demand certainly will have impact in terms of the cash versus that uh, swap market 
um, you know, cause the spread to, 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 to widen or to tighten. Um, but the primary driver continue to be the growth and the, and the inflation. Okay. So, so I think that's the, that's the second nuances that we want to uh, point it out. Okay, Harry. Yeah, you. yeah, absolutely. Um, so th th this was a lot of information. Now, on, on a very practical and, and applied level, what could our, how could our listeners use this information? What, what, what could they do? With yeah. So, so first of all, we <laughs> we don't know who our listeners are, right? Uh, and they have a different types. So I would say, you know, if you are a longer term asset allocators, right, for the family offices and uh, pension endowment foundations and, uh, and etc., right, and uh, I would say, diminish cutting cut down the allocation to the risk asset, increasing al allocation to the fixed income is the right thing to do. Now. Which which you know which tenor you want to do? Um, and I would say depending whether you you do this, whether you can lever or not. Uh, if you can lever notional amount with the same risk, then I would say you can lever two years. You you can lever up two years investment uh, because I think a year will come down more. See, for example, if you lever two years four times, and that will be the similar for you to buy one unit of ten years. In other words, you can spend one dollar by uh, by 10 year bond, you can spend, you know, you can, you can lever that, you can lever up by four unit, right? With a notion of $4 of two year, uh, equivalently, you have the same, uh, you have a similar, uh, durations. And I think that will be a better, better way to do it. Um, and uh, obviously we like front end and, uh, to have a, to have enough cash, right? Um, so, but if you cannot lever doing, you cannot lever. And I would say, you know, Longer, longer, longer dated year bond is, is fine. Uh, and, uh, they probably will rally, uh, during the recession time period. Uh, and, uh, although the yield will come down less, but the duration will help you, right? Um, and, uh, if you are, uh, fast money, right? If you are very, you know, I would say that apply to the retail money, the retail people as well, right? And if you're fast, fast money, and uh, obviously you can do, uh, you can do the leverage. And I think the curve is also a very interesting play. Um, and uh, um, I, I'm saying that with high, with a good amount of confidence that the curve flattening is ending, and now we are in the regime of you know curve uh, steepening, probably for the next one to three years. And I do not know how fast the recession happened. Maybe one year, two year, maybe one year, or maybe one year, three year. But uh, but in the next few you know in the in the in the future I think the curve will 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 steepen, and that probably will be led by the drop of the short dated uh, yield. So you can contract trade on that, and uh, the liquidity impact from the you know from timing perspective, um, I would say, you know like I said you know the liquidity uh, you know uh, backdrop you know is positive for for the durations uh, because of these change QRAs. Uh, and, uh, so, um, however, if the stock continue to rally, things are very strong, you know, I mean, that there's a chance that, uh, that the bond price can go higher because Fed says, Hey, you know, liquidity condition easing too much. Uh, so there's a chance for the bond to re, you know, to technically rebound. Uh, and I would say that's a buying opportunity again. Um, and obviously if economic data does not cooperate, uh, and uh, if the growth, if unemployment rate, you know, start to go higher and the inflation come down pretty quickly, 
Uh, by the way, I would say this is a plausible scenario, uh, and it can happen. Um, and I think it will eventually happen, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I think you know in the in the near term, it it actually can happen uh, based on what we are based on our reading. And in that case, we may not have a rebound, and we have a very shallow rebound. Um, so so that's kind of uh, what, what where I'm seeing here. Okay. So now on Wednesday, so we had the QRA announcement. We had the Fed meeting, the uh, announcement from the Fed, and the uh, the uh, the uh, the press conference. But there was also a third thing I think that happened almost simultaneously. Uh, the Bank of Japan was up to something. Yeah, um, that's right. What was it that it did? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so we ha also had uh, had the BOJ meeting. Um, so. Well, I think we should do a separate podcast for both on the yield curve and also on BOJs and discuss the implication. It's very long. Uh, I think that, you know it's a, it's probably worthwhile a, a separate discussion on them. But basically, BOJ's action is uh, overall uh, of the world financial uh, financial market is very 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 big because when the BOJ was doing QE in the past, the money is not staying in the, in Japan and they were flowing all over the world. Okay, and that was one of the key liquidity driver for the financial asset all over the world. Now we all know that uh, once the Fed started to tighten the monetary policy, the rest of the central banks all have tightened. At the time, actually, we think that represent a good window of opportunity for Japan to do the same. But I think they missed that opportunities, and a lot of people were hoping that they will normalize uh, their, you know, their kind of interest rate policy, which we, you know, and we are basically adamant that Japan will never never normalize their interest rate policy because they cannot because of the debt level um and uh they you know if they normalize the entire revenue will be to serve just to serve the interest rate cost so they were just talking the talk the central bank will have to come here monetize that debt permanently period okay now a lot of people has miss miss and I think you know a lot of people are talking about the DOG where you know in the past they basically in they were packing the rate um, you know so that if you know for the yield curve, curve control and then most recently they increased the uh, you know kind of uh, uh, you know the cap to to one percent and once they increased the yield and first to zero point five percent right now is you know and then the last meeting they they they, they curved the cap to one percent so. You know, people think, okay, that's the, you know, because they are widening out and there is, you know, kind of more incentive, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that that will be, um, you know, they do not need more, less QEs, therefore is less liquidity and et cetera, which is actually not true. The opposite happens, okay? Because when they, when they, when they, when they remove the yield cap, right? Uh, and, uh, and the selling pressure actually increased, okay? And they have to do more QE. Just think about it. In the past two years, in you know last year until this year, if you add above, I mean the QE amount is larger than any time they have done before, <laughs> and and that's after they release uh, the yield curve cap. And the reason for that is because if you're a bond investor and you see them to release the yield, you know, kind of going to increase yield yield by fifty bips. The next thing you think, okay, they are starting right now. Fifty bips. The next is one percent, and then it's one and a half one. Let me just tell everything. And then the, and let's just sell right ahead of them, right? And then the BLJ is basically saying, no, I'm going to control here, and uh, and then they have to come here to do more QE, right? And the problem is because of 
on the currency hedging cost here in the in the U.S. Right. So the amount of QE is not coming to the United States. I mean, of course, some of them leak here, but the a lot of them uh, come here because if 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 there is a positive carry after currency hedging and there is no positive carry after currency hedging, and therefore a lot of the, the you know kind of the money the liquidity stayed domestically. And that explains significantly why the Japanese domestic equity rallies, another rally at the backdrop of the uh, uh, of the currency. Okay, so I just walk through this very quickly to give you a background, and then we have a last meeting. Basically, they use one percent as a reference point, uh, and in other words, they uh, you know they can tolerate uh, for this yield to to go above that. I think if you look at a currency uh, kind of re reaction, right, the, um, the 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 currency you know went above 150, right, uh, and uh, so I think that uh, people do not think they are credible in terms of norm normalizing uh, the interest rate policy. I think Japan is on the permanent way to monetize uh, their debt, and there will be no normalization. Um, so. So I think we can, we, you know, we, we can just touch upon here and uh, just basically pointed out uh, some of the misconception that the people have, and uh, uh, and then I think uh, probably makes sense for us to talk about more into the details about BOJ and uh, the impact on the on the globally for for next time. What do you think? Well, uh, yes, it certainly sounds as if the BOJ is material for a very long episode. So anyway, so. Okay, so I think we've come to the end of this particular episode, the episode six of Total Convexity. So let's try and summarize what you have been saying here. So liquidity is one of the most important factors that drive financial assets. The big picture is that liquidity is very tight relative to history because of the structural supply and demand imbalances of the of treasuries, of, of the treasury needs. In the near term, however, because of the Treasury's maneuvering, let's say, with debt issuance, we could see a temporary liquidity relief that outweighs market expectations. Therefore, bonds and stocks could potentially rally from here, particularly given the extreme sentiment and positive seasonality. And at least for bonds, there is also the possibility, of course, of a geopolitically driven flight to safety. You never know when these things can happen. Of course, this is just one variable. Uh, economic and market developments may also change this projection. Now, if longer maturity bonds were to have a significant rally, that is, significantly lower bond yields may counteract the effects of the recent rate hikes, and the Fed may feel obliged to further hike the overnight, right, uh, overnight rate at least once. Now, However, if inflation comes down significantly, and if the labor market shows signs of weakening, the Fed may choose to continue to pause and not do anything to rates for quite some time. Now, Jim, given the outlook, your outlook for growth, you like treasuries basically across the yield curve, with the front end being the sweet spot for you. You also believe that the recent curve steepening will be a persistent trend for the next one to two years. However, you see a possibility of short term of a short term rebound of yields before they start to trend lower again. Now, have I represented your views correctly, Jim? Um, yeah, that's correct. 
And, uh, and I think it's very important to put it out that our objective here is not to show the forecast because our forecast <laughs> must change. Rather, we show our thinkings behind is what are the drivers behind, you know, of, of, of our views. If this driver changes, our view changes, right? So it's more important to, to think about the drivers we think we, we, we are considering, uh, and, uh, um, and rather than just hang on over, um, that, uh, that the projection, because the projection will always change. And what the drive that this changes is the drivers behind it. So by saying that, I, you know, I, I would say, you know, um, other than that, I say this is the great summary. Uh, so Harry, maybe, um, we can come to the end of this and just tell us how, where listeners can follow us. Yes, absolutely. You can always find us by looking us up on your favorite podcast app by typing in total convexity or do the same thing on YouTube. Now, please don't forget to click on the subscription button so that you will be automatically notified when the new episode is available. You can also follow us on X where we have the handle at total convexity and you can email us at totalconvexity at gmail.com. Finally, you can follow our insights on Substack and that's totalconvexity.substack.com. We promise never to spam your email boxes or push any products or provide any sort of marketing. All we want to give you is an honest take on the market, which might be right or it may be wrong, and we will try and make it short and sweet. Jim, anything else? That's it, Harry. So thank you, everyone. If you like this podcast, we would appreciate if you can pass along to anyone who may be interested. This concludes the sixth episode of our podcast, Total Convexity. See you next time. Disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial professional before making any financial decisions. All investments involve risks. There are no guarantees of profits and investments may incur losses. The contents discussed in this podcast is not a recommendation for any specific investment. Past performance does not predict future results. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts or affiliated parties. The podcast host and guests may have financial interests in companies or products discussed, and listeners should be aware that the opinions expressed by guests and their hosts may reflect biases. We strive for accuracy, but financial information can change rapidly. The content may not always be up to date or complete, so verify information independently. This podcast does not offer legal or regulatory advice, and listeners are responsible for ensuring that their financial decisions comply with applicable laws and regulations. Mentions of specific financial products or services do not constitute endorsements. Perform your due diligence before engaging with any financial offering. Listeners are fully responsible for their financial decisions, and the podcast's guests, hosts, and affiliated entities are not liable for any financial losses resulting from actions taken on based on the provided contents.